The Home and the World by Rabindranath Tagore, translated by Surendranath Tagore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Raju from Burleson, Texas, United States. Ramina45 at Hotmail.com Part 1 of Chapter 4 Nickel Story 3 I was never self-conscious. But nowadays I often try to take an outside view to see myself as Bimal sees me. What a dismally solemn picture it makes, my habit of taking things too seriously. Better, surely, to laugh away the world than flood it with tears. That is, in fact, how the world gets on. We relish our food and rest, only because we can dismiss, as so many empty shadows, the sorrows scattered everywhere, both in the home and in the outer world. If we took them as true, even for a moment, where would be our appetite, our sleep? But I cannot dismiss myself as one of these shadows, and so the load of my sorrow lies eternally heavy on the heart of my world. Why not stand out aloof in the highway of the universe and feel yourself to be part of the all? In the midst of the immense, age-long concourse of humanity, what is Bimal to you? Your wife. What is a wife? A bubble of a name, blown big with your own breath, so carefully guarded, night and day, yet ready to bust at any pinprick from outside. My wife and so forth. My very own. If she says, No, I am myself. Am I to reply, How can that be? Are you not mine? My wife. Does that amount to an argument, much less the truth? Can one imprison a whole personality within that name? My wife. Have I not cherished in this little world all that is purest and sweetest in my life, never for a moment letting it down from my bosom to the dust? What incense of worship! What music of passion! What flowers of my spring and my autumn! Have I not offered up at its shrine? If, like a toy paper boat, she be swept along into the muddy waters of the gutter, would I not also? There it is again, my incorrigible solemnity. Why muddy? What gutter? Names called in a fit of jealousy do not change the facts of the world. If Bimal is not mine, she is not, and no fuming or fretting or arguing will serve to prove that she is. If my heart is breaking, let it break. That will not make the world bankrupt, nor even me, for man is so much greater than the things he loses in this life. The very ocean of tears has its other shore, else none would have ever wept. But then there is society to be considered. Which let society consider? If I weep, it is for myself, not for society. If Bimal should say, she is not mine, what care I where my society wife may be? Suffering there must be, but I must save myself, by any means in my power, from one form of self-torture. I must never think that my life loses its value because of any neglect it may suffer. The full value of my life does not all go to buy my narrow domestic world. Its great commerce does not stand or fall with some petty success or failure in the watering of my personal joys and sorrows. The time has come when I must divest Bimala of all the ideal decorations with which I decked her. It was owing to my own weakness that I indulged in such idolatry. I was too greedy. I created an angel of Bimala in order to exaggerate my own enjoyment. But Bimala is what she is. 
it is preposterous to expect that she should assume the role of an angel for my pleasure the creator is under no obligation to supply me with angels just because i have an avidity for imaginary perfection i must acknowledge that i have merely been an accident in pimela's life her nature perhaps can only find true union with one like sandeep at the same time i must not in false modesty accept my rejection as my desert sandeep certainly has attractive qualities which had their sway also upon myself but yet i feel sure he is not a greater man than i if the wreath of victory falls to his lot today and i am overlooked then the dispenser of the wreath will be called to judgment i say this in no spirit of boasting sheer necessity has driven me to the pass that to secure myself from utter desolation i must recognize all the value that i truly possess therefore through the terrible experience of suffering let there come upon me the joy of deliverance deliverance from self distrust i have come to distinguish what is really in me from what i foolishly imagined to be there the profit and loss account has been settled and that which remains is myself not a crippled self dressed in rags and tatters not a sick self to be nursed on invalid diet but a spirit which has gone through the worst and has survived my master passed through my room a moment ago and said with his hand on my shoulder get away to bed nikhil the night is far advanced the fact is it has become so difficult for me to go to bed till late till bimal is fast asleep in the daytime we meet and even converse but what am i to say when we are alone together in the silence of the night so ashamed do i feel in mind and body how is it sir you have not yet retired i asked in my turn my master smiled a little as he left me saying my sleeping days are over i have now attained the walking age i had written thus far and was about to rise to go off bedwards when through the window before me i saw the heavy pall of july cloud suddenly part a little and a big star shined through it seemed to say to me dreamland ties are made and dreamland ties are broken but i am here forever the everlasting lamp of the bridal light all at once my heart was full with the thought that my eternal love was steadfastly waiting for me through the ages behind the veil of material things through many a life in many a mirror have i seen her image broken mirrors broken mirrors dusty mirrors whenever i have sought to make the mirror my very own and shut it up within my box i have lost sight of the image but what of that what have i to do with the mirror or even the image my beloved your smile shall never fade and every dawn there shall appear fresh for me the vermilion mark on your forehead what childish cajolery of self deception mocks some devil from his dark corner silly prattle to make children quiet that may be but millions and millions of children with their million cries have to be kept quiet can it be that all this multitude is quieted with only a lie no my eternal love cannot deceive me for she is true she is true that's why i have seen her and shall see her so often even in my mistakes even through the thickest mist of tears i have seen her and lost her in the crowd of life's marketplace and found her again and i shall find her once more when i have escaped through the loophole of death ah cruel one play with me no longer 
If I have failed to track you by the marks of your footsteps on the way, by the scent of your tresses lingering in the air, make me not weep for that forever. The unwild star tells me not to fear. That which is eternal must always be there. Now let me go and see my Bimla. She must have spread her tired limbs on the bed, limp after her struggles, and be asleep. I will leave a kiss on her forehead without waking her. That shall be the flower offering of my worship. I believe I could forget everything after death, all my mistakes, all my sufferings, but some vibration of the memory of that kiss would remain, for the wreath which is being woven out of the kisses of many a successive birth is to crown the eternal beloved. As the gong of the watch rang out, sounding the hour of two, my sister-in-law came into the room. Whatever are you doing, brother dear, she cried. For pity's sake, go to bed and stop worrying so. I cannot bear to look on that awful shadow of pain on your face. Tears welled up in her eyes and overflowed as she entreated me thus. I could not utter a word but took the dust of her feet as I went off to bed. Bimala's Story 7. At first I suspected nothing, feared nothing. I simply felt dedicated to my country. What a stupendous joy there was in this unquestioning surrender. Verily had I realized how, in thoroughness of self-destruction, man can find supreme bliss. For aught I know, this frenzy of mine might have come to a gradual, natural end. But Sandeep Babu would not have it so. He would insist on revealing himself. The tone of his voice became as intimate as a touch. Every look flung itself on its knees in beggary. And through it all, there burned a passion, which in its violence made as though it would tear me up by the roots and drag me along by the hair. I will not shirk the truth. This cataclysmal desire drew me by day and by night. It seemed desperately alluring, this making havoc of myself. What a shame it seemed. How terrible, and yet how sweet! Then there was my overpowering curiosity, to which there seemed no limit. He of whom I knew but little, who never could assuredly be mine, whose youth flared so vigorously in a hundred points of flame, oh, the mystery of his seething passions, so immense, so tumultuous! I began with a feeling of worship, but that soon passed away. I ceased even to respect Sandeep, on the contrary. I began to look down upon him, nevertheless this flesh and blood root of mine, fashioned with my feeling and fancy, found in him a master player. What though I shrank from his touch, and even came to loathe the lute itself, its music was conjured up all the same. I must confess there was something in me which, what shall I say, which makes me wish I could have died. Chandranath Babu, when he finds leisure, comes to me. He has the power to lift my mind up, to an eminence from where I can see in a moment the boundary of my life extended on all sides, and so realize that the lines which I took from my bounds were merely imaginary. But what is the use of it all? Do I really desire emancipation? Let suffering come to our house. Let the best in me shrivel up and become black, but let this infatuation not leave me. Such seems to be my prayer. When, before my marriage, I used to see a brother-in-law of mine, now dead, mad with drink, beating his wife in his frenzy, and then sobbing and howling in maudlin repentance, vowing never to touch liquor again, and yet the very same evening sitting down to drink and drink, it would fill me with disgust. But 
My intoxication today is still more fearful. The stuff has not to be procured or poured out. It springs within my veins, and I know not how to resist it. Must this continue to the end of my days? Now and again I start and look upon myself, and think my life to be a nightmare, which will vanish all of a sudden with all its untruth. It has become so frightfully incongruous. It has no connection with its past. What it is, how it could have come to this pass, I cannot understand. One day, my sister-in-law remarked with a cutting laugh, What a wonderfully hospitable Chotarani we have. Her guests absolutely will not budge. In our time, there used to be guests too, but they had not such lavish looking after. We were so absurdly taken up with our husbands. Poor brother Nikhil is paying the penalty of being born too modern. He should have come as a guest if he wanted to stay on. Now it looks as if it were time for him to quit. Oh, you little demon, do your glances never fall by chance on his agonized face? This sarcasm did not touch me, for I knew that these women had it not in them to understand the nature of the cause of my devotion. I was then wrapped in the protecting armor of the exaltation of sacrifice through which such shafts are powerless to reach and shame me. 8. For some time, all talk of the country's cause has been dropped. Our conversation nowadays has become full of modern sex problems and various other matters, with a sprinkling of poetry, both old Vaishnava and modern English, accompanied by a running undertone of melody, low down in the bass, such as I have never in my life heard before, which seems to me to sound the true manly note, the note of power. The day had come when all cover was gone. There was no longer even the pretense of a reason why Sandeep Babu should linger on, or why I should have confidential talks with him every now and then. I felt thoroughly vexed with myself, with my sister-in-law, with the ways of the world, and I vowed I would never again go to the outer apartments, not if I were to die for it. For two whole days I did not stir out. Then for the first time I discovered how far I had travelled. My life felt utterly tasteless. Whatever I touched, I wanted to thrust away. I felt myself waiting from the crown of my head to the tips of my toes, waiting for something, somebody. My blood kept tingling with some expectation. I tried busying myself with extra work. The bedroom floor was clean enough, but I insisted on its being scrubbed over again under my eyes. Things were arranged in the cabinets in one kind of order. I pulled them all out and rearranged them in a different way. I found no time that afternoon even to do up my hair. I hurriedly tied it into a loose knot and went and worried everybody fussing about the storeroom. The stores seemed short and pilfering must have been going on of late. But I could not muster up the courage to take any particular person to task. For might not the thought have crossed somebody's mind, where were your eyes all these days? In short, I behaved that day as one possessed. The next day, I tried to do some reading. What I read, I have no idea. But after a spell of absent-mindedness, I found I had wandered away, book in hand, along the passage leading towards the outer apartments, and was standing by a window, looking out upon the veranda, running along the row of rooms on the opposite side of the quadrangle. One of these rooms, I felt had crossed over to another shore, and the ferry had ceased to ply. 
I felt like the ghost of myself of two days ago, doomed to remain where I was, and yet not really there, blankly looking out forever. As I stood there, I saw Sandeep came out of his room into the veranda, a newspaper in his hand. I could see that he looked extraordinarily disturbed. The courtyard, the railings in front, seemed to rouse his wrath. He flung away his newspaper with a gesture which seemed to want to rent the space before him. I felt I could no longer keep my vow. I was about to move on towards the sitting room when I found my sister-in-law behind me. Oh, Lord, this beats everything, she ejaculated as she glided away. I could not proceed to the outer apartments. The next morning, when my maid came calling, Rani Mother, it's getting late for giving out the stores. I flung the keys to her, saying, Tell Harimati to see to it, and went on with some embroidery of English pattern, on which I was engaged, seated near the window. Then came a servant with a letter. From Sandeep Babu, said he, What unbounded boldness! What must the messenger have thought? There was a tremor within my breast as I opened the envelope. There was no address on the letter, only the words. An urgent matter, touching the cause, Sandeep. I flung aside the embroidery. I was on my feet in a moment, giving a touch or two to my hair by the mirror. I kept the sari I had on, changing only my jacket, for one of my jackets had its associations. I had to pass through one of the verandas where my sister-in-law used to sit in the morning, slicing betel nut. I refused to feel awkward. Whither away, Chotarani? she cried, to the sitting-room outside. So early, a matinee? Uh, as I passed on without further reply, she hummed after me a flippant song. 9. When I was about to enter the sitting-room, I saw Sandeep immersed in an illustrated catalogue of British Academy pictures, with his back to the door. He has a great notion of himself as an expert in matters of art. One day, my husband said to him, If the artists ever want a teacher, they need never lack for one, so long as you are there. It had not been my husband's habit to speak cuttingly, but latterly there has been a change and he never spares Sandeep. What makes you suppose that artists need no teachers? Sandeep retorted. Art is a creation. My husband replied, so we should humbly be content to receive our lessons about art from the work of the artist. Sandeep laughed at this modesty, saying, you think that meekness is a kind of capital which increases your wealth the more you use it. It's my conviction that those who lack pride only float about like water reeds which have no roots in the soil. My mind used to be full of contradictions when they talked thus. On the one hand, I was eager that my husband should win an argument and that Sandeep's pride should be shamed. Yet, on the other, it was Sandeep's unabashed pride which attracted me so. It shone like a precious diamond which knows no dividends and sparkles in the face of the sun itself. I entered the room. I knew Sandeep could hear my footsteps as I went forward, but he pretended not to and kept his eyes on the book. I dreaded his art talks for I could not overcome my delicacy about the pictures he talked of and the things he said, and had much ado in putting on an air of overdone insensibility to hide my qualms. So I was almost on the point of retracing my steps, when with a deep sigh, Sandeep raised his eyes and affected to be startled at the sight of me. 
Ah, you have come, he said. In his words, in his tone, in his eyes, there was a world of suppressed reproach, as if the claims he had acquired over me made my absence, even for these two or three days, a grievous wrong. I knew this attitude was an insult to me, but, alas, I had not the power to resent it. I made no reply, but though I was looking another way, I could not help feeling that Sandeep's plaintive gaze had planted itself right on my face and would take no denial. I did so wish he would say something so that I could shelter myself behind his words. I cannot tell how long this went on, but at last I could stand it no longer. What is this matter, I asked, you are wanting to tell me about? Sandeep again affected surprise, as he said, Must there always be some matter? Is friendship by itself a crime? O Queen Bee, to think that you should make so light of the greatest thing on earth. Is the heart's worship to be shut out like a straker? There was again that tremor within me. I could feel the crisis coming, too importunate to be put off. Joy and fear struggled for the mastery. Would my shoulders, I wondered, be broad enough to stand his shock, or would it not leave me overthrown with my face in the dust? I was trembling all over, steadying myself with an effort. I repeated, You summoned me for something touching the cause, so I have left my household duties to attend to it. That is just what I was trying to explain, he said, with a dry laugh. Do you not know that I come to worship? Have I not told you that in you I visualize the Shakti of our country? The geography of your country is not the whole truth. No one can give up his life for a map. When I see you before me, then only do I realize how lovely my country is. When you have anointed me with your own hands, then shall I know I have the sanction of my country, and if with that in my heart I fall fighting, it shall not be on the dust of some map-made land, but on a lovingly spread skirt. Do you know what kind of skirt? like that of the earthen red sari you wore the other day with a broad blood-red border. Can I ever forget it? Such are the visions which give vigor to life and joy to death. Sandeep's eyes took fire as he went on, but whether it was the fire of worship or of passion, I could not tell. I was reminded of the day on which I first heard him speak, when I could not be sure whether he was a person or just a living flame. I had not the power to utter a word. You cannot take shelter behind the walls of decorum. When in a moment the fire leaps up and, with the flash of its sword and the roar of its laughter, destroys all the miser's stores. I was in terror lest he should forget himself and take me by the hand, for he shook like a quivering tongue of fire. His eyes showered scorching spots on me. Are you forever determined, he cried after a pause, to make gods of your pretty household duties? You who have it in you to send us to life or to death, is this power of yours to be kept veiled in a zanana? Cast away all false shame. I pray you, snap your fingers at the whispering around. Take your plunge today into the freedom of the outer world. When, in Sandeep's appeals, his worship of the country gets to be subtly interwoven with his worship of me, then does my blood dance, indeed, and the barriers of my hesitation totter. His talks about art and sex, his distinctions between real and unreal, 
had but clogged my attempts at response with some revolting nastiness. This, however, now burst again into a glow, before which my repugnance faded away. I felt that my resplendent womanhood made me indeed a goddess. Why should not its glory flash from my forehead with visible brilliance? Why does not my voice find a word, some audible cry, which would be like a sacred spell to my country for its fire initiation? All of a sudden my maid Kima rushed into the room, disheveled, Give me my wages and let me go, she screamed. Never in all my life have I been so. The rest of her speech was drowned in sobs. What is the matter? Taco, the Bararani's maid, it appeared, had, for no rhyme or reason, reviled her in unmeasured terms. She was in such a state, it was no manner of use trying to pacify her by saying I would look into the matter afterwards. The slime of domestic life that lay beneath the lotus bank of womanhood came to the surface. Rather than allow Sandeep a prolonged vision of it, I had to hurry back within. End of Part 1 Chapter 4 This recording is by Raju from Burleson, Texas, United States. Ramina45 at hotmail.com